How are we doing, guys? We're back today with another episode, another interview on our series. Today we have Mr. Raymond Stanton, who just happens to be Andre's grandfather. And he gave us his uh, two cents about his life story, about where he came from, where he is today, and how he's gotten there. And it was really, um, we're already past where we interviewed him. We're just filming this now, so it was actually a very influential and beneficial interview. So, Yeah, honestly, it was just one of the greatest opportunities of a lifetime to sit across from my very own grandfather, who has, you know, has been a huge influence in my life and was actually the person that distilled that entrepreneurship mindset and spirit into me at a young age. Uh, so it was a great interview. We had a lot of fun doing it. Uh, Christian and I, we learned a lot. We got a lot out of it ourselves, and we're looking forward to uh, seeing what you guys think and hoping that you guys can get a lot out of this man that has you know, been through all experiences of life and has just a lot to share. Okay, we're back here with Mr. Raymond Stanton. So, how you doing, Mr. Stanton? Great. Thank you. Great, great. So, for our audience that do not know you, uh, could you please just give us a brief background of who you are and what you do? Well, uh, I'm Raymond Stanton. I, I was born and raised in Binghamton, New York, which is about 90 miles, uh, 75 miles south of Syracuse, central New York, <clears throat> on the border with Pennsylvania. And uh, I grew up here in uh, what they call the triple cities, went to school here, went away, got an education, and come back. That's awesome. We're going to go more into the whole education aspect later on. But for now, why did you want to be interviewed on our podcast? So what do you want our listeners to get out of your interview with us today? I think uh, that we're in a time uh, in American history where entrepreneurship is uh, – at a at a uh, frenzy that has never been before, uh, maybe in the 50s, whatever. But uh, I love entrepreneurship, and uh, I heard about your podcast uh, discussing with other other people uh, success stories and how they did it, et cetera. And for that reason, <clears throat> I thought, uh, haven't had a little success that uh, maybe I could add something to your listeners. No doubt. That's why we invited you on the show. We're really excited to have you here today. So let's go deeper into the education. So tell us a little bit about your experience with education and kind of how it helped or maybe hindered your career to kind of form who you are now. Well, I got it. As I said, K through 12, I got my education in uh, right here in Binghamton. Uh, I went to school during the uh, late 40s. 50s and early 60s, uh, college, 61 to 67. So I was fortunate through the 50s because uh, the 50s were a very peaceful time in America. It was a great time to be a, a, a youngster, a wonderful time to be a teenager. There were no wars going on. Uh, America was exploding. Uh, all of a sudden, people had uh, attached garages and in some cases, two-car garage, and it was just a wonderful time uh, to go through uh, uh, elementary, uh, junior high, and high school. Uh, I got a good education in, in Binghamton, and then I went on to uh, 
uh, Auburn University, Cortland, State University, Syracuse, and Scranton, uh, four different colleges where I, I ended up with a master's in uh, uh, a degree uh, uh, a degree in mathematics and then a master's degree in school, public school administration. This education, uh, this experience of an education, as we all know, uh, one part of the experience is books. The other part is dealing with people, socializing with people, and learning from other people. And, and that part of the experience in education, uh, just being in the realm of uh, public education and uh, college education uh, gave me a lot of uh, life skills. Yeah, so... Going back to when you were growing up in Binghamton, how did you develop a strong work ethic at a young age, and how do you think it's contributed today to your success? Well, again, uh, I was fortunate that it was the 50s. Uh, I was 12 years old uh, in 1956. Uh, that would be the the really coming out year for Elvis Presley, rock and roll and all that. And uh, back then, uh, if you were a young man, you were expected to start mowing lawns, start delivering newspapers. And it was kind of a expectation that everybody, uh, all the young guys did because it put put some jingle in your pocket. Uh, I got a paper, a paper route uh, when I was 12. I think I made $6 a week back then, which doesn't sound like a lot, but uh, if you multiply that by 10, it's probably more like 60 a week now. Uh, I bought my first lawnmower for $29.95. Uh, the, Roto, the Roto Blade uh, lawnmower came out, and uh, my dad lent me the money. I, I bought it for uh, either $29 or $39 is what, it, what they came out at. Uh, we used to do the push mower, the real push mower, and uh, this power mower gave me an opportunity to go around the neighborhood, knock on doors, and I had six uh, uh, lawn mowing jobs that I had steady every week, and that they were fit anywhere from 50 cents to a dollar a lawn. So I was in pretty good shape financially between the paper out and uh, uh, mowing the lawns. In, in addition to that, my father was a one-man uh, construction uh company he had a, a pickup truck he had a cement mixer etc and and i was always uh i got into forced labor with my father <laughs> it was like five dollars an hour or five cents an hour or whatever but his expectation was that his two sons would help him whenever and wherever he needed to help and that included uh holding us out of school on some days pouring concrete and that type of thing I had a good work background. It just came naturally. It isn't something that I pride myself. I I went out and got it was, it was simply part of growing up in the 50s. And I I think that work expectation or that work experience, collecting money on the paper route, collecting money after I mowed the lawn, shovel the sidewalk, all that gave me a good background for uh, later life. Yeah, that's just amazing. And another fun fact just about uh, Mr. Stanton here is, you know, he grew up in such an early period in America and, you know, he's a successful business person. He runs a company now. And just one thing that you might not know about him is that he's never accessed the Internet. He's never sent a text message. He still only uses the cell phone to make calls. You want to uh, share a little bit about that and kind of how you still manage to run a successful company without the use of the Internet? Yeah, well, uh... Actually, I'm not a, I'm not a, uh, against uh, 
computerization because I'm uh, I hope that I've got enough smarts to know that that's what's taken my my personal business to to the height that's at and uh, we live in a we live in a valley uh, used to be called the Valley of Opportunity before all the businesses moved south to uh, avert the taxes. Uh, Broome County is the uh, original Silicon Valley. Tom Watson came here in the 20s and and, and uh, joined a company that made uh, time clocks. The uh, where you put a you put a, a a piece of paper in and and, and you and you uh, get your time that you arrived at work. Time cards. You put the card back in when you leave and uh, it, it punch your time in time out and that's how they did payrolls. And Tom Watson uh, came to Broome County. Uh, after he left National Cash Register, he had a dispute with the CEO, and thank God he came to Broome County, joined Binghamton Time Machine, and that evolved into IBM, International Business Machines. And this county is the foundation of all computers. They all started here. Uh, IBM was here from the 20s to the 70s. And uh, so I take pride when people come to visit our offices that we are the original Silicon Valley. And I was just prior to the computer revolution, so I didn't get into – I taught math, so I should have been into it more than I did because I was a high school math teacher. But I was just a little bit pre-computers, and I just never got into them and never had a need to – our staff – my son back in the uh, 80s, uh, early 90s it was, said, Dad, we need a computer for our business. And I said, they're 1995, $1,995, that's too much. And he goes, we only need one. I said, if you only buy one and that's all we'll ever need, go ahead and buy it. So now I sit in an office building of 40,000 square feet. We probably have 400 computers in the building. And we're totally wired for everything you can wire for. And and I, I know the not only the necessity, but the facility that the computers give you to uh, talk to the outside world, et cetera. Definitely. For a lot of our listeners that are from Binghamton and, you know, might not be from the same time zone as uh, my grandfather here, uh, a lot of you just didn't realize kind of what was going on here just, you know, a few years ago, a few decades ago. And I think really with the energy and the momentum that we have going here in Binghamton, I think we could really revive that and hopefully get it back to that same, you know, energy and success that we had earlier in uh, in the 90s. So uh, let's just go into the next question. Uh, tell us a little bit about how you found your passion in football uh, and if you may share some stories from your career. I uh, I was a pretty uh, I was a pretty lean uh, six foot uh, two. 160 pound uh, uh, high school kid that uh, was a little nervous about going out for football, but back then, even today, that you know, if you want to, if you want to uh, uh, be somebody in high school with your with your uh, uh, social set, you had to participate in something: the band, the, the cheerleaders, the the sports, whatever it was. So I chose. Uh, uh, I wasn't musically inclined. So I went out for the football team and uh, uh, ended up being a quarterback and, and playing a lot of football and, and uh, actually uh, got a, a full scholarship to Auburn University down to Southeast Conference. Uh, and then I came back to uh, when I came back to Binghamton, 
I started a semi-pro uh, football team in 1970, and uh, we did well enough. We we're 12 and 0, scored 634 points in a 12-game season. That uh, I got a look at from the Jets in '71. I went down to the New York Jets uh, training camp, and unfortunately, uh, they had a quarterback, Joe Namath, that uh, <laughs> I got to know and got to say goodbye to. Uh, I, I was in training camp in 71. They won the Super Bowl in 69. So I had a great opportunity to break the huddle with a Super Bowl team and get some experience that way. I came back and finished my career in Broome County. Uh, I played eight years of semi-pro football and uh, made uh, uh, had a lot of fun and made a lot of memories and a lot of wonderful uh, friendships with that. I ended up being in the... Uh, semi-pro hall of fame as a quarterback and so it was a great experience but the biggest experience was the hundreds of ball players that i met i coached and i played with it was a good experience wow that story is uh tremendous for all you jet fans out there hopefully one day you'll be back to success in the nfl but we're going to move back towards the business aspect of our episode today so going back to your first company you ever started dynamate how did you evolve this into what is now known as save around Back in uh, about 1975, I was teaching math. Uh, 75, I believe I had five children. Uh, uh, I met my wife, Nikki, in 1961, and we've been together ever since. And I think that's about 58 years, and it's been a wonderful uh, a wonderful experience, a wonderful relationship. And uh, we had seven children over the years, and back in 75 – I believe we had about five children, and I was making about 50. Let's see. I started out in 67 at 5,700. So I was probably making about 7,500, and it wasn't enough for uh, five children. I was coaching football, made an extra 500 for that. And I was also the junior class advisor. I was a high school math teacher. I was teaching geometry and algebra. My junior class that I was the advisor to, we decided to sell chocolate bars, uh, world's finest chocolate bars, and we sold them uh, three, four years in a row. And uh, the chocolate man <laughs> came to my class every year and th- threw free chocolate bars to me, so I'd order two, 3,000 bars, and then I'd uh, threaten my junior class into selling them and bringing the money back. And uh, although it was a diff- difficult fundraiser, I enjoyed doing that part of it and the the candy man one year said why don't you come to work for world's finest chocolate and uh, i can double your salary and i I really had to think about it because i i I had a lot of children and uh, but i love teaching and i love coaching i didn't want to give it up so i said no thank you but it, it it planted a seed in my mind that if this guy's offered me what amounted to uh Back then to be twenty twenty five thousand, there must be a lot of money in fundraising. So I thought if I could only find a product that I could do part time, because I know a lot of people, I know all the schools. I wasn't thinking statewide or national. I was thinking Broome County has seventeen high schools, and I know most of the coaches because of my experience in coaching. I've got to come up with a product because I could do this part-time and, and increase my teacher's salary uh, on my own. And I come up with an idea of, uh, because of my experience with the uh, semi-pro football, I was 
going out each year into the community, putting together a yearbook. And I really got my sales experience with the yearbook. Uh, I used to call them beggar ads because I'd knock on a restaurant door or tavern door or whatever and say, support the Jets. Can you support the TC Jets? Uh, take an ad in the yearbook. And the ads were anywhere from 25 to to $100. And we would do a $25,000 yearbook. So I had a lot of contacts around town because of the semi-pro fame. We we're very well known. We we drew crowds of twelve to fifteen thousand people, which is unheard of in semi-pro. But for some reason, I put the team out there at the right place at the right time. There was no hockey. There was no baseball. The Jets were the only game in town, and, and people loved us. And it gave me an opportunity and a name to go out and talk to merchants. And uh, from the experience of putting the yearbook together, I was able to go to enough merchants to ask them if they'd go into this new idea book where you buy dinner, you get a dinner free. You buy a burger, you get a burger free. And I put together a bunch of coupons. And I I called the first experience Dynamate. Dynamate. And Dynamate... Uh, took off slowly because I did it part-time from 75 to really 90, 75 to 90. My, my kids were growing up. Then they were in college. So I got a job in administration. By that time, I'm a high school principal during the day and during the after school and summer and whenever possible, I was putting a coupon book together in Binghamton, Syracuse, Scranton, and Utica. That's about all I could handle. And my book back then, we we would do it right out of my house, right out of my garage out back. We converted my garage into a business office, a single-stall garage. And uh, we put paneling up, drop ceiling, and we had a dynamite office right out back of my house. And uh, we uh, put the book together during the summers, and then we'd come out in October and, and uh, give it to fundraisers to – we come out with a $10 product initially where the fundraiser kept five. Then we moved up to $20 where the fundraiser kept 10 because we made the book triple what it was originally. We included, started including car washes, uh, dry cleaning, golf, uh, that type of thing. So back in the seventies and eighties, I was doing it part-time and, and, uh, it took off. It took to the, by 1990, so it was a slow 15 years, but I was having fun because from 75 to 90, now my family's, uh, uh, now my family's, uh, seven children. And this gave us money for Christmas, money for Myrtle Beach trips. And it was doubling my, my salary in school. And it just, it made life a lot more comfortable. And then uh, my son Raymond got out and, uh, Got out of college. He was at all. He was at Alabama on a full scholarship. He came home and said, "Dad, let's take the business national." And uh, I asked Ray uh, if he would prove to me that I didn't think it would be enough money that I could leave my. Uh, now I'm making sixty thousand dollars as a principal. I got life. Uh, I mean, I got insurance. I've got uh, benefits of uh, retirement. I asked Ray if he would take a year or two and show me that he could double 
the four I was doing about four hundred thousand gross at the time. And uh I said, Ray, if you can double that four hundred to eight hundred, I'll leave my principalship and I'll jump in with you and we'll we'll expand it uh to more cities. So Ray <laughs> was the right fit for the job because he loved uh he loved selling and he loved gro- growing the business and uh, the very first year he took the four hundred up to a million in gross sales. And uh I talked to my wife and said, Nick, do you mind if I jump in and go full time with Ray? And she said, Hey, go for it. So uh thanks to you know her believing in uh, Ray and I and, and Ray doing his thing and, and be, being a 50-50 partner, we uh, had the uh, opportunity to take it national. And uh, we, had, we ended up between 91 and 96, taking it to 31, 32 cities. And at that point, our competitor bought us, and that was our first sale. That's amazing. And actually, where we're recording this, we're in the uh, we're in the save round office now, where they're at. Uh, it's in the industrial park, and it's just it's honestly incredible just to think about how it started and kind of how the steps they took to get to where they are now. It's just it's extremely incredible and motivating. And uh, just to kind of go back and highlight something that you said is that when you first started, it was 15 years, right? So, again, this is just a main theme of our podcast is that things don't happen overnight. So when you're trying to build a business, when you're trying to build an empire, it takes time. But as he said, this is something, again, when you're starting a business, is something you got to check off the list is if you got to be having fun. you got to be passionate about what you're doing because those 15 years, if you're not passionate about it, if you're not having fun, then there's more chances that you're going to get beat up and you're going to quit early. But like, my, uh, like Raymond Sand just said, he was loving what he was doing in those 15 years, honestly, just flew by. So, uh, I mean, that's just a number. That's something that was really, I'm sure, key to his success. So uh, just another thing is uh, how do you overcome failures and challenges early on, uh, if you just want to touch on that quick? I think the, uh, the hardest thing uh, for me and for Ray was uh, making sure the excitement that we had was used in a measured way uh, that we didn't outgrow ourselves financially. Uh, we very when we went from uh, in a three-year period, we went from four cities to 33 cities, I believe, 32 cities, and we we're higher and, and uh, we we're setting up offices in you know in Florida and California and the Carolinas. Uh, <clears throat> the obstacles, the only obstacles were. Uh, was our ability to use common sense. And I, I would suggest to anybody that uh, when you're doing a business, uh, uh, rely on your gut feelings. Because if you go against your gut feelings, uh, you're going to get in a lot of trouble. And uh, sometimes your gut feelings uh, tell you to slow down. They tell you don't take a chance. They tell you to be more careful financially. And uh, – the gut feelings and the common sense. What what makes common sense? And, and uh, for the most part, you should rely on those 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 two things. But you, there are times when you have to make decisions that uh, uh, you have to take a chance on. And then we uh, Ray and I decided that uh, we wanted to go to uh, 20, 30 cities and we didn't have the money to do it. So we had to go sign our, uh, houses and whatever we had as collateral. 
and take that opportunity. Uh, we have local bank, uh, Binghamton Savings Bank at the time, uh, believed in what we were doing and gave us uh, gave us uh, a three million dollar line of credit, which was uh, probably ten times the uh, ten times the collateral that we actually had at the time. And that allowed us, uh, their belief in us and our partnership with them allowed us to uh, take it to more and more cities and and, and bring the revenue up and, and the profit up. Uh, uh, after uh, after uh, we sold our first company in 96, uh, we had a period of a couple of years where uh, we couldn't get back into business because of a non-compete clause in the, in the sale. That's uh, very customary. And uh, we went into uh, we went into the IT. Uh, we went into software, and I had an idea that uh, that uh, it would be a nice it would be a nice uh, possibility uh, if we were it would be a nice business if we were able to uh, connect cardholders with uh, vendors. If we could take the businesses in a locale and uh, connect them. Uh, to a set of uh, credit cards, and uh, we did a we did a uh, uh, an agreement with the Bank of Montreal up in Canada, where we built a software that allowed us to uh, go out and sign uh, close to 3,000 uh, business accounts in the Toronto, Greater Toronto area, and with our software. ValueSys at the time was a loyalty platform that we built that we hired a team. That's still with us, a team in Canada, uh, to build us a software that allow us to connect the three million cards, <coughs> excuse me, the 800,000 cards from the Bank of Montreal with these 2,000, 3,000 merchants, so that every time they went to those merchants, because our software identified their card, they would get an automatic discount. And uh, so we got into the technology end of it, and the uh, uh, early 2000s, and uh, we've been in a sense. So our company today uh, is called Save Around. The Save Around is an extension of the old Dynamate 30 cities. Uh, uh, my son Luke joined us in 2002, I believe it was, and he took over the book edition. We put books out for the public schools, uh, the fundraising books. Our second time around, we called it Save Around. The Save Around book uh, has a two, three hundred merchants in it, all with discounts, and the club sell them for twenty-five dollars and keep twelve fifty. Luke runs the book edition end of it, and Raymond runs the IT end of it, where we are dealing with banks, credit unions, giving them uh, uh, loyalty software platforms to uh, thank their customers. So we're we're really evolved into a high-tech company along with our printed book company. And uh, we're now in 175 cities, and we do business across uh, Canada and the United States. Wow. So clearly you've come a long way since you were 18 years old. But if you could take, say, a time machine back to when you were 18, what advice would you give yourself? Do 99% of what you did the same way. You've been a very fortunate man. You know, uh, Vince Lombardi, who's uh, probably the most famous uh, NFL football coach in history, said uh, the only time success comes before work 
is in the dictionary. So if you want success, first you gotta work. And you gotta work hard and, and work is the key ingredient. Belief in yourself. I, if I had to go back to when I was 18, knowing what I know now, uh, I had more ability. And, and this is true with most young people. Most young people at 18 are finding their identity. And uh, they believe in themselves, but it's not a deep belief because they haven't proven themselves yet. It's like it's like being a football player. I thought I was okay uh, at age 18, but I didn't really know. And uh, I used to break the huddle and say, you know, please, God, let me complete this pass. I need this pass. And uh, and that's typical of the human spirit that you really want something. Uh, you work hard, uh, but believe in yourself. Believe in yourself. Uh, give yourself a little more credit, uh, and things will be uh, a lot easier. Uh, even guys like uh, Joe Namath told me in, in Jet Camp that uh, – he used to think the same thing. Every time he dropped back uh, uh, for a pass, he'd, he'd, he'd uh, say, I hope I get this one. I hope I get this one. Not, <laughs> I'm going to get this one. Uh, Elvis Presley, uh, <clears throat> when he come back from his Army tour, and he was the number one entertainer in the world, but he'd been away from it for a couple years because he did his uh, service time in Germany. They showed a video of him coming out onto the stage in Las Vegas for his first concert after his army service. And the last thing he said to his bodyguards before he stepped on stage to adulation and crowd went crazy, he looked over before he came out of the curtain and he goes, do you think they still like me? So uh, even the great ones will tell you that uh, all human beings have some self-doubt. And uh, if I could give anybody a, a, a tip on being 18 to 25 years old, uh, give yourself more credit than you probably do and go for it because uh, you don't know unless you go for it whether you're going to be able to get it done or not. And uh, don't take it so serious. You got to take it serious to a certain extent, but uh, have have a little more belief in yourself and, and, and step forward and go for it. Exactly. There's always got to be a balance just between work ethic and having fun and doing the things you want to do. But, I mean, you hit it right on the nail, like you said. Uh, you got to have some self-belief. You got to have that established work ethic. Uh, so just like as we've been preaching on this podcast, just a lot of the values that we've been saying, uh, he kind of just – showed you proof on why these things work and why they contribute to success. So uh, just another thing is uh, if you had any advice to give to our listeners about finding their passions, kind of maybe how you found your passion or how they can help, how you can help them to find their passion, uh, what would you tell them? In today's day and age, uh, the employer loyalties towards the employees uh, are not there as they used to be. I can remember in the 50s, 60s, if you got a job with IBM, that was a life job. There were a lot of life jobs. And uh, today, we're in an entrepreneurial world where uh, it's going to be up to you to make it. You're going to have to have something. You're going to have to have something that other people want. 
And you're going to have to be able to present that something to people. And my advice is we see all this instant success, whether it's Bill Gates or whether it's uh, uh, the Bezos, whomever, where they <laughs> they become uh, some of the wealthiest people in the world in a 10, 15 year period. And everybody wants to do that. And that's human nature. But you got to remember that that's a scintilla of a percentage point that are able to get to the top of the mountain, whereas most of us are going to climb that mountain and we're going to get somewhere on that mountain. So we can hope, we can hope uh, to get measured success, but don't put yourself in a position where, uh, be realistic, use your common sense and say, you know, uh, I want to have Bill Gates money in 10 years, or I want Jeff Bezos' uh, Amazon success or Facebook success, Zuckerman or whomever, or whatever. Don't go chasing rainbows to the extent that you make a fool of yourself. Put your nose to the grinder. Have an idea. Make sure other people want what you're selling, because if other people don't want it, you're you're talking to the wall. Uh, have if you've got a product like we were fortunate enough, and, and I, you know, I got in the save round and uh, my business just kind of I hook or crook because I started out in some I I started out being a teacher. I started out as a class advisor selling candy bars. I started out as a semi-pro football player selling uh, yearbook ads to pay for the equipment. I never realized uh, that between uh, between age, uh, I would say 35 now to 74. I mean, it's taken me 30 plus, 35, 40 years. I didn't consider it a job. I considered it a, I, I really loved what I was doing. I didn't ever think, or say to myself, when am I going to get my first million? Or when am I going to get a hundred million? Or when am I going to get this or that? Don't look for the end prize. Enjoy the moment you're in. Because even if you get the end prize, and I was fortunate enough to build a business uh, that ended up being worth millions, uh, with an extended family of 40 plus uh, grandchildren and uh, uh wonderful realm of friendships i've been very fortunate but i never i always enjoyed the moment i was in and and you're going to do the same and when you look back at age 70 uh, like i'm 74 when i look back my happiest days some of my happiest days was when i was selling those chocolate bars uh, with the junior class and i was and i was making uh 6500 hours or when i was mowing lawns or shoveling sidewalks, I'd go to the corner store and I could get a slice of pizza and a Coke. Or when I got my first new car at age, uh, I don't know, 45, got my first new vehicle. The little things, you enjoy the little, you enjoy the pathway to success because once you get to success, you're going to look back and say, Boy, that part of it was the most fun part of it. Uh, Semi-pro football was the best time of my life. Or 
the early years when my children were all under 10 years old or whatever, when you get to the fine, when you get to that prize that you've been struggling for, it's the road that took you to the prize that was all the fun and all your cherished memories. It's not even the prize. When they hold up that Super Bowl trophy and they show it to everybody in the stadium, every one of those players looks back on the season and it wasn't holding the trophy up that they're going to remember. They're going to remember preseason practice, preseason games, game one through game 18 or whatever. It's going to be the road that got them to that Super Bowl trophy that they cherish. And the road that I, the, the memories that I cherish are the step-by-step building of the company, the step-by-step family growth. And uh, I just thank the good Lord that I kind of fell into all of it because I had the ambition uh, and the entrepreneurship that, uh, that took me there. And I still, uh, the exciting part about our business is that, as I said, in our new offices, which I'm really proud of, uh, I've got two sons and a daughter that work with me in the business. Uh, my wife and I are always sharing our ideas with the business. Uh, I'm a part-time basis, so I can come and go, but I come more than I go because I just I, I love the feeling of being here with our 60 to 90 employees. In our business, we keep getting new ideas. It's not stagnant. We do sell books. We've been selling books since 1975, coupon books, but we've added so much more to that, and it seems like every month or every day we get a new idea for revenue. And it's exciting, and we know that it's something other people want. So we've got a product that uh, will continue to grow, and it will, is continually exciting because it's so nice when you're in a win-win situation. Our merchants like us because we drive traffic to their places of business. Our customers like us because we give them discounts. And uh, the schools like us because we give them 50% profit on the fundraising. So I was fortunate enough to get into a business that's a win-win situation, and uh, we're having a lot of fun. Yeah, so while you definitely were talking about enjoying the journey to where you are today, um, what do you do today to find happiness and enjoy time with your family? Recently, we had a uh, meeting in the office where we talked to uh, 100 and something employees. We brought them in from out of town. and. The speaker that went ahead of me, I was the last guy, I was the last person to speak to the group. The the person who went ahead of me uh, was discussing the different life expectancies of the different generations. And I come from the post-World War II baby boomers. And just before I was going to speak to the group, he mentioned that the baby boomers, the men have a life expectancy of 74 to 76. And I'm standing there and I'm going, I'm 75 in January. So I address the crowd that, well, you know, I've reached my life expectancy. So I don't, you know, I'm looking behind me. But going forward, uh, I'm enjoying 
mostly my family and my grandchildren. I've got such a large extended family, 60 plus people in the immediate family that I'm enjoying that. But I'm also I'm also enjoying the possibility of leaving the business with uh, some more verticals for uh, revenue and enjoyment and uh, opportunities that we have to serve the public and give the public uh, services and products that they're actually enjoying and looking to looking forward to and, and give my sons and my family uh, that uh, when I, when I do uh, go uh, off planet earth to, to the next challenge, uh, I will leave behind uh, a business that is growing and, and my kids can uh, not only work hard, but enjoy. Definitely. And I just can't begin to tell you guys how blessed I am to have this guy as my very own grandfather. And um, again, I mean, just the things that he just went over, it's just incredible. Like you just got to enjoy every moment of life, obviously. And family is just super important. And just the things that he did at a very young age have, you know, like he said, allowed him to live the life he lives now. But we just want to thank Mr. San for uh, coming on to our podcast today. Uh, there's not really much else we could cover. I mean, he just dropped n- golden nugget after golden nugget. Uh, you guys will definitely get a lot out of this podcast. Uh, and I know uh, having him as my grandfather, he distilled, you know, the entrepreneurial mindset into me at a very young age. Uh, and I know he wants to, you know, help the community here in Binghamton to kind of drive that growth and kind of get it back to where we were uh, in the early 50s and 60s. So uh, this is definitely a man that you want to reach out to, get to know. Uh, definitely, you know, listen to this episode. You'll get a lot out of this, but also kind of reach out to him on your own time. Uh, just He has just countless stories, countless stories. And, yeah, so we just want to thank you, Mr. Stanton uh, and Grandpa. Go by either way, but uh, we enjoyed interviewing today and can't thank you enough for all the information you shared. Well, I want to say, I want to say that uh, <clears throat> I'm proud that my, my – uh, my genes have obviously uh, been sent downward to my grandchildren, and uh, what you guys are doing is entrepreneurial, and uh, I wish you the success, all the success in the world. But I, I know I know that uh, within my family of grandchildren, we've got some great, great minds coming forward, and, and I look forward to uh, sitting somewhere watching, <laughs> watching uh, these people uh, – Grow and uh, develop and and come forward with their ideas and uh, I just want to remind everybody. The last thing I say is that uh, it's Christmas time. Don't need to use capital letters. Just saveround.com. One word. You can go there. You can look at all of our sites. All our books available. And uh, what a great gift idea for Christmas. Thank you. Yep. So he says saveround.com. So in the show notes, we're gonna put a link to uh, the website we'll give you all the information you need to go and order this book and we'll also be giving away a book uh, on one of our social media feeds again like you said it makes for a great christmas gift uh you definitely don't want to miss out it's only 25 dollars. so we'll drop all that information in the show notes and uh, uh really looking forward to hear your feedback on you know the great interview that we just had